Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. And uh, we're going to continue this morning through our book, uh, through the book of Acts together. And... um, Last week, we, uh, we spent some time looking at the story of Peter and John as they're going to the temple gates. And when they get to the temple gates, they heal um, a man who they, they just, they, the Bible refers to him as the lame uh, beggar. And what we learn is that the lame beggar, he goes to the gates of the temple every single day to, to beg for money. And what we learned as we read this story was um, that the work of God is not just for Sunday service. That the work God doesn't have to be confined to the four walls of a church for him to move, to heal, to operate, to do amazing and miraculous things. We also learned and we're reminded that when when we see God do something amazing, when we are when we when we are a part of the work of the kingdom, that we have to make sure that our worship goes up to God and not out to the servants who serve him. We also asked the question of, why are you here? We, we looked at the lame beggar, and he showed up to the doors of a church every single Sunday asking for money, realizing how powerful the God that, who was, that people were going to worship was on the inside. That he, he totally missed what he was looking for, but God is so good and showed up the way that he actually needed. So I asked the question, why were you here and then we acknowledge that there's power in the name of Jesus. That as Peter and John, they reach down and they get down on this man's level. They look at him in the eyes. They take him by the hand and they say, in the name of Jesus, walk. They don't do any crazy like 36-step ritual and, and spin him around or anything like that. They just say like, in the name of Jesus, walk. And the man gets up and he walks. And he says he's running and he's jumping and he's praising and he's doing all of these amazing things. And everyone is just completely blown away. Um, and then we're going to continue that story today. This, that story continues through um, chapter four through three and the rest of four. And what we're going to see is that um, Peter and John, they are going into the temple for prayer. They come across the sky. Um, they look at him. They heal him in Jesus' name. He gets up. He's walking. He's jumping. He's running. And people are like, what is going on? Like, what just happened? That guy was stuck outside. We just carried that guy here. We lost our job. Now we don't have anybody to carry back. Um, and uh, so, thank you. It's hard up here sometimes. It's really hard. I make fun of Pastor Burke sometimes when his jokes don't land, and I get up the next week, and you guys just, I go home and cry about it. Uh, I go home, and like, I look at my wife, and I'm like, am I funny? I think I'm funny. I asked my mom. I'm like, Mom, am I funny? She goes, no, you're not funny. Uh, uh, my wife is usually nice. She's like, you're so funny. You're the funniest person I know. Uh, uh. She's lying. Um, pray for her. Um, so they recognize this guy, and they are amazed. And Peter and John, they enter into the temple courts with this man. And people are absolutely amazed. They're coming. They're asking Peter and John about this power that they have. What we're seeing is that these people are getting confused, and we notice we said our worship needs to go up. These people are having a tendency, their worship is to go to Peter and John. They're absolutely amazed by what has happened. And Peter tells them, it wasn't us, it was God. And they share the gospel with these people. Um, and they, he, in a very bold way, he says, you rejected them, you killed them, but God raised them. 
And it says, you guys are amazed about what God is doing, but you guys didn't want anything to do with Jesus while he was here. And they continue to share the gospel. And that's where we're going to pick up this story today. But before we get into that, I want to ask a question for all my people who are bad kids in school. Um, how many of you have ever been sent to the principal's office? My dad got two hands up in the back. Um, I was sent to the principal's office one time. There was, like a, there was a stint in middle school that I just wanted to be the bad kid. Did anyone, like, you were a good kid, but you just wanted, like, the bad kids, like, were the popular kids, let's be honest. Like, everyone wanted to hang out with those kids. And I, like, remember I was, like, talking back to the teacher. And all he knew, I wanted to get sent. There was a thing called the timeout room. Look, I, I hated school. School is the worst. I'm honest, confession time. I can't do basic multiplication and division. I'm 28 years old. We moved to Delaware. They had just finished it when, when, at the school I was going to. Like, the school where we were coming from was, like, just getting to it. And somehow I've got through college. I'm, like, looking at master's program, and I can't even do, like, you, if you pulled out, like, a third-grade multiplication table, you, you go get a kid from the kids' ministry. They'd smoke me by an hour and a half. I'm like, um, I don't know. It's like hieroglyphics to me. Like, it's not going to happen. But I remember I got sent to the principal's office one time um, in middle school, and it was, like, the teacher was like, why, do you, why are you doing this? Like, you just want to be sent away. I was like, yeah, I want to go to the timeout room because I don't want to be here. And I remember getting sent to the office, and the principal never came out, but I was sitting there, and I got so nervous. I was like, like, I, I was sweaty through my shirt. I was, like, dancing. The chair was moving slowly out of the office. He never came. He was like, what are you here for? I was like, they told me to come down here. He's like, I don't want to deal with you, and he sent me back. That's not even, like, we, we have these struggles with authority sometimes that we come face-to-face, like, in middle school and high school, the principal is the ultimate authority. Like, you're getting sent to the principal's office. Like, oh, that wasn't the ultimate authority for me in my life. The worst thing was I get a text message from my mom. It says, what do you need to tell me? And I'm like, Phew. And this is what happened. I'd get in trouble. There, here's the problem with me and my brother. There'd be, like, 36 things we could have been getting in trouble for. So we had to figure out by the time we got home which one she found out. But this, is, this would be the situation in the Bell household. We'd walk through the door from school, and my mom would be like this on the counter, just waiting for us, like, what do you need to tell us? And I can't lie. So I'm like listing off like th- all 36 things. Like, mom, I kicked the neighbor's cat. We, sh- we shot a seagull with a BB gun. Um, what else did we do? We, I drove your car around the block when you weren't home. It's like all these things. She's like, oh, your teacher said you didn't turn in your essay. I'm like, she's like, now you're grounded for like six weeks. No. Um, my parents didn't have to ground me. They just, I would just feel so bad all the time. And I'd, go hide. My brother, on the other hand, would be like, what do you need to tell me? And he'd have like 150 things because he was, he was a little more ornery than I was. Um, I was, I wanted, I lived to please my parents, not my brother. My parents were rolling their eyes back there. Um, I still live to please my parents. Uh, my brother would be like, I didn't do anything wrong and just walk away. Like, like dude, you, I saw you punch a kid on the school bus. What are you talking about? You didn't do anything wrong. But we've all been in these situations where we're standing in front of authority and we're freaking out and we're scared. And we, we think it's the, we, you know, in, in middle school and high school, it's the, you get to the principal's office, it's the end of your world. For me, if my mom found out I did something, it was literally the end of my world. Like everything was being taken away, no Xbox, you know, applesauce. I don't, I don't know why I said that. But we'd uh, it'd just be, it'd be standing in front of authority would be the end of the world. And that's what we're going to see in this moment that Peter and John, uh, they are preaching the gospel in the temple courts. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders of the, of the temple courts bring them in in front of them and start asking them questions. And they're standing in front of these, these for them, the most, the ulti- other than the Roman Empire, the ultimate authority figure in Jerusalem, the ultimate authority figure in Israel. 
And we're going to read about this story of how they react to it and what they say and what we can learn from it. So if you have your Bible with you, if you open up to Acts 4, verse 1 through 4, it says this. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. I kind of probably felt like when I had to sit in the principal's office for like a half hour, and then he never showed up. Um, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So Peter and John, they go into the temple. And they're teaching something that is, that is contrary and against what the majority of the people, the people in power, believe. That they're preaching the name of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And what we have to understand is that the Sadducees, they're a group of people that don't even believe in the resurrection at all. And they also didn't believe in Jesus either because they sent him to the cross. That, that would be like somebody else coming into our church while I'm trying to do this and they're preaching something completely contrary to what we're, I'm preaching right now. I would be like, get him. We're going to lock him up in the kids' room, the one that doesn't have any windows. I'm going to turn the lights off and we're going to deal with him tomorrow. And they are... They're in this moment, and they're doing what they believe in. They're doing what they, they know is right, and they're preaching the gospel. They, they, they saw this man be healed, and people are asking questions like, how did you do this? And they're saying, there's no other name that this is possible other than Jesus. And they're preaching the resurrection that Jesus, that he died and he resurrected, and then one day we will all be resurrected and be with him in eternity. I think for the for the... Religious leaders, if, if you have kids, you know what this feels like. They, they thought when they crucified and put Jesus to death that they had stopped the Jesus movement. And then when they when put Jesus to death, the, the disciples scattered. Like they, they disappeared. So they thought they had put this to a stop. And then these guys show up a few weeks later and are continued to preach the name of Jesus. It's probably... I would imagine they felt like I do when I like, feel victorious. I finally put my son down to sleep, and I sit on the couch, and I'm just binge-watching TV or getting a snack ready, and then he's awake in his crib, freaking out, like, Daddy! No, he doesn't call for Daddy. Um, he's, Mommy, come get me! It's just, I imagine it's like they thought you, you thought you put your kid to bed, and then you're in the freezer, like, eating some scoops of ice cream, and then you turn around, and they're standing right there. You're like, oh, I thought I got rid of you. Uh, this, this is the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes are in this moment where they thought they stopped this movement and teaching of Jesus. Now the disciples are back, and they're preaching the name of Jesus. They're preaching, and, and they're jailed for healing and preaching Jesus. They're being punished for doing the right thing. They're being punished for following God. And I don't know about you, but maybe... You've never been jailed for following Jesus, but maybe you've been ridiculed by your family. Maybe you've been at a family gathering and everyone is just going wild. They're out there doing keg stands. I don't know what your family's like. Um, I don't know. But maybe everyone is getting together, and, and maybe the thing for you that happens at Thanksgiving or Christmas, that everyone gets together and they start gossiping about the people that aren't there. And you just say, I'm not going to do this. 
and you get the, what, are you too good for us now that you follow Jesus? You think you're better than us? You were here a couple years ago talking about Aunt Sally and all our problems, but you're, you're, you can't do that with us anymore. And, and you try to explain them that, that there's something different inside of you that you can't do it. And, and it's not that we, it's not as equal to being jailed, but at times we can be ridiculed and we can be mocked for our faith, for doing the right thing, for pursuing Jesus, for, for living out that life. Maybe for you, it's you're at work and everyone is, is lying on the end of the year form so you get a bigger raise or you try to get that promotion, but, but you refuse to. And then what happens is that because you didn't lie about that one thing that nobody else got the stuff in, and you're the reason that no one else, you're the reason that they don't get to go to Disney World this year. And it's because you, you think you're so high and mighty because you follow Jesus. Or maybe it's friends and you used to live this lifestyle and they call you up on a Friday night and they want you to go out with them. And, or Saturday night, you're like, no, actually, I have to get up for church in the morning. Like, you're not the way that you used to be. It used to be fun. You used to be worth hanging out with. When I came to Christ, I, um, I did, like, silly high school boy stuff. Like, I, I wanted to go to parties and have fun. I'm not going to get into details, but um, I just, I did high school, I did high school stuff. I wanted to go to parties. I wanted to have fun. I wanted people to like me. And I was so desperate for people to like me at times in my life that I would just do crazy things for people to like me. And I remember I came to Christ when I was 17. And one of the hardest things for me was I felt like God told me I had to cut off a relationship with some of my friends. They're my best friends in the world. Um, and I remember multiple times, like, even now as an adult, you get into these moments. And now I do all their weddings, which is just, like, funny. And... Uh, they're like, I'm, their, I'm everyone's token preacher friend from high school. They're like, hey, you busy on this date? I'm like, you going to feed me? I'm like, I'll be there, buddy. Uh, <laughs> what do I got to do? I just got to read something? Cool. Um, but I remember having these moments with my friends who were like, oh, that's the Jesus boy. Like, he doesn't do this. That, he probably has his, his Bible in his backpack. I'm like, actually, I do. Like, I do have my Bible in my backpack. Um, but I remember having these moments where people would make fun of me. Like, you used to be fun. You used to be the, the, the center of attention. You used to have so much fun. Like, you think you're too good for us? I get to, I do weddings with friends from high school, and they're like, let's drink. And I'm like, I'm all right. I'm just going to eat four cupcakes and go home. I'm going to eat the cupcakes you're going to forget are here. And you get things, and they make fun of you. But, and, and all these things, but for, sometimes we get punished and ridiculed and made fun of for, for doing the right thing, for following our faith, for being obedient to Jesus. And that's what we're seeing in this moment, that, that Peter and John, they didn't do anything wrong. They were being obedient to the God of the universe. But the people who were an enemy to the name of Jesus deemed them wrong and put them in jail, and they punished them for living out their faith. And the reality is, is that we are going to we live in a world that people want to ridicule us and poke fun at us for our faith. If we continue in verse 5, it says, The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They met Peter and John, and they, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? We have to understand something about this moment, that these people that they just listed off are the same people that Jesus stood trial in front of. The same people who sentenced Jesus to death, Peter and John are standing in front of right now. This is 100% an intimidation 
tactic. This is 100%. They're all standing here. Um, they're, Peter and John are standing in front of this these row of people. This, I, I imagine it like a, a meeting, like you're taking an interview, and it's like a boardroom, and they're sitting there, and it's 100% an intimidation factor because what they want them to do is they want them to remember what happened just a few weeks ago. Do you remember what happened when Jesus was standing here? Do you remember what we did to Jesus? And Peter and John are standing in this moment, and they ask him this question. By what power or what name did you do this? And this is not, they, I don't think that the chief priests and a lot of the commentaries and scholars I read don't think that they expected Peter and John to have an answer. It was more of a rhetorical question because the chief priest is the one who had the ultimate earthly authority in this moment. He got his authority from God. So what they're saying is, did I give you authority to heal this man? Did I give you authority to preach the resurrection? Did I give you authority? Who do you think you are to come in to, to this place and to preach something that we don't believe? Who gave you this authority? And when I was reading this, I realized that this is a question that is asked by people who are in opposition to Jesus. My kids are having fun back there. Um, this is a question that people ask who are in opposition of the mission of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, that these people don't want to see the kingdom of Jesus go forward. They are so worried about keeping their norms and their way of life the same that to them Jesus is a threat. And this is a question that I believe that the enemy asks me and you, like, who do you think you are? Who gave you authority? In what name do you do these things? And look, in, in Luke 10, 19, it says this, I, this is Jesus. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And if you know this story, this is where Jesus sends out the 70. And then they come back and they're like, Jesus, even demons flee to us in your name. And Jesus is like, duh. I give, I've given you the authority. And I think what happens in our world is that what the enemy would like to do, that people who are in opposition of Jesus would make us, would ask the question, like, who do you think you are to pray for that person? Like, do you not remember who, who you were just a few years ago? Who do you think you are to, to worship? Who do you think you are to share the gospel? Who do you think you are? By whose authority? And I want you to realize this, that we've been given authority by Jesus and been given an invitation to do his kingdom work to do an amazing work, to help build his kingdom, to help share his gospel, to, to go out and to pray for healing, to go out to encourage people by giving them a word, to go share the gospel, to, to bring it into the darkest places of the, of the world. You've been given authority to join into the kingdom work. You don't have to be a spectator, but you get to be a part of what God is doing on this earth, and the enemy can't stop you, and there's no power greater than the name of Jesus, then nothing will harm you that you've been given authority. And verse 8, Peter and John are going to answer this question, by, by whose name or whose authority did you give this? And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame in our in our Lame and being asked how he was healed. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is a stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which they must be saved. That Peter is filled with the Spirit. And, and if you break it and look at in the Greek, it's not like saying that he was already Spirit-filled, but that he had a refilling of the Spirit in the moment. And he, and he spoke confidently. Remember we were just saying that this, is, this was an intimidation factor by these people to, to try to startle and to scare Peter and John. Yet he is standing there bold, saying, we did this in the name of Jesus, the guy that you killed but God raised. You think that you have authority, right? You tried to kill Jesus, but God raised him up. God is more powerful than you are. And God has given us authority in the name of Jesus to do these things. And you're not going to stop us. This is an amazing moment. That, and then when I read this and I think about all the times that I was, I, that one time I sat in, all the times, I wasn't bad. The one time I sat in the principal's office and I'm so scared or, or when I had to come home and my mom was asking me all these questions. And these guys are literally standing in the face of what could possibly be their execution. And they're not scared. They're confident in the name of Jesus. Though they're not worried about what is going to happen because Peter responds, whose authority did we do this? Jesus. The only name who can save. The only name that can give authority. The only name that is worth glory. It's by the name of Jesus that we did these things. So if you want to punish us for an act of kindness, so be it. He kind of throws it in the face like, you see how silly this is? You guys are throwing us in jail for healing a man. And we'll realize later is that they didn't throw him in jail for healing a man. They threw him in jail for breaking the status quo of their lives. And uh, Acts in verse 13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do to these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must mourn them not to, to speak no longer to anyone in his, in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. When I read this, I, but it says the, the man who was healed was, like Peter and John are getting, they're being yelled at. They're, 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 it's like when you're at your friend's house and they get in trouble and you're just stuck standing there and watching their parents yell at them. That, that's how I feel about the lame, the, the lame beggar at that moment. He, it says he's standing there with them and he's like, this is fun. I, um, should I go home now? Can I call my mom? Um, there's this moment in, and they're standing there and what, what amazes me is this, is that, these people can't deny what they've seen. 
And they can't deny that the power by which this man has been healed. And they can't deny that the people have seen it, but their only goal is to stop the spread of it. And I love the words of Peter at the end. It says, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They cannot deny it. They can't, they, they can't keep it to themselves because what they've seen is absolutely amazing. What they've seen is like no other thing that they've experienced up until the, this point in their lives following Jesus. What they've seen is the power of God on earth in people in the name of Jesus. They can't stop. The, the Pharisees want them to stop talking about it because it is a threat to their way of life and everything that they have. And Peter and John, they say, we know what you want, but we're not going to do it. We know what you want, but we're not doing it. We, we can't stop telling people about this. And church, I want to adopt this mentality that we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and what we heard. That I cannot help speaking about how Jesus has transformed my life. That I cannot help about talking about what Jesus has done in my life and in your life and in the life of this church. I want to be a people who, who are unashamed. In Romans 1, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. We live in, in a world right now that doesn't love Christians. We can easily live in a world where we can just stay to ourselves and be quiet and not necessarily ashamed of the gospel but not want to be ridiculed or mocked and do all these things. But church, I said, what if, what if we were okay for all those things to happen to us? Because the reality is we live in a world that we're not ashamed of a lot of things. We're not ashamed of, like, the dinner that we ate that we had at Instagram. We're not afraid of the shows that we watch. We're not ashamed of the books that we read or the products that we use or our favorite teams or, or all these things. We're, we're not ashamed of the experiences that we share. Like, I, I'm not ashamed of like doing the things that I love to do. When I, we went to Universal a few weeks ago, I've been trying to figure out how to add this into our message. There you go, Bert. I've been trying hard. Bert and I went on a one-day trip with Mark and Zach, and I'm not ashamed to like post a picture of like everything that I walk past in there because I love it because I love it so much, and when you love something, you want to share it with other people. When something means something so much to you, you want to share it with other people. My Instagram is just like littered with pictures of my son. Because I love my son, and I think he's the greatest thing that God has ever given me, and, and I want you guys to be jealous about how cute he is. Like, I'm not ashamed of my son. And in this moment, the Peter and John are standing there and saying, we want you to stop talking about this Jesus. And he goes, we, we can't because we're, we're, there's no shame in it. Do whatever you want to do to us. We know what you did to Jesus. We know what you can do to us. But God is way bigger because, because you crucified him, but God raised him. We don't serve you. We serve God. So we're not going to stop speaking about his name. We're not going to be ashamed of proclaiming the name of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel, for praying for people. Because Jesus has given us authority to do these things, and we're going to do it. And you can try to stop us, but we're not going to stop. I think it's funny that even in the midst of them trying to stop Peter and John from sharing the gospel, it says 5,000 people were saved. That nothing can stop the church of Jesus Christ.
that nothing can stop the gospel. And what I'm not telling us to be is, like, to be the weird Christians who, like, I'm not telling us all to, like, go buy a cricket and make really cheesy Christian shirts that says, like, you know, that looks like a piece of armor and it says, like, I'm wearing the armor of God. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you, like, to, 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 to be weird. And, like, every time you're in the grocery store and you see somebody by themselves, like, walk up to them with, like, a track and be like, here, do you know Jesus? I mean, if that, if that has worked for people in the past, but I don't know if it's the culture of Solid Ground Church. I'm not telling you to be weird or to do crazy things, but I'm just telling you to be obedient to where Jesus is calling you. That if Jesus calls you to a coworker at work and you see them sitting alone at the lunch table and you just feel like it's on your heart to go sit with them and, and maybe it's not even, you, you, you don't even open the Bible, but maybe you just show up. Maybe you're, you're, just, you're just filling the gap in that moment. But don't be ashamed of where God is, is calling you to go and to be and, and who he's calling you to reach. Like, look, I, I felt like the times in my life where I'm pumping gas and I'm like, God is just like, I look at the person next to me and I'm like, God, you want me to pray for them right now? Like, this is weird. And I always, and I've done it. Like, we, we were in, on vacation over the summer. We were at Chick-fil-A and, we, like, spent a whole day at the theme park, and we're, like, exhausted, and Levi's still, like, running at, like, 110%, and Leah and I are, like, I'm just, like, trying to slurp down my milkshake, and there's this guy, he walks up, and he's just talking to us and talking to us and talking to us, and, and he's, he's a homeless man, and, and I just feel this, like, and I realize that he's talking to me because he's lonely, and so I sit and as a big of an inconvenience as it was because I'm half awake and my kid is throwing chicken nuggets across the room. And, and I just, like, I don't even want to be in Chick-fil-A to start with at this moment. Like, I just want to go back to where we're staying and go to bed. I stop, and I'm, he, he stops, and he's like, well, I'll let you guys go. And I just feel like God is telling me to, to pray for him. I'm like, hey, man, this is weird. It's weird for me. It might be weird for you. Can I pray for you? But in that moment, I'm just trying to be obedient to, to God in that, in that moment. I think that it's not that we need to be crazy and wild. You don't need to paint your car to, or get it morphed into like a Jesus fish instead of just a little magnet. Like you just, but you just need to be obedient to where Jesus is calling you. For some of you, it's to fill in the gap. For some of you, it's to finally to admit to your, your family that you're a Christian because you've been hiding it. Because you know how they feel about Christians. You know how they feel about faith. And you've been so afraid to be open about it. You've been so afraid to, to be ridiculed by your friends or your family that you've just, you've kind of kept it to yourself. Jesus has been like your own little personal pocket Jesus. And it's, and it's worked up into this point. But, but you know that God is calling you to more. And to end the story, it says this in Acts 21, and verses 21 through 22, it says, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And we learned last week that the man had been this way since birth. So, so this wasn't like a bait and switch type of moment. But they knew this man. This man, is, he's 40 years old. People, and he sat by the gate every single day. People knew who he was. But I read this thing and I, and as I read this story, and it's the end, is they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God. When I read it, and I wonder if 
They couldn't figure out how to punish them because they couldn't deny what happened. They couldn't figure out how to punish these people because they couldn't deny what they had seen. They couldn't deny what this happened to this man. They couldn't deny what was being stirred up in the hearts of the people who witnessed it. And I wonder, I wonder if some of these, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, I wonder if what happened is they actually, if some of them then did believe that they weren't okay with letting go of the life that they had. That they saw this, that, that some of these, that they, they were there when they gave the order to crucify Christ. And then there had to be talking that Jesus was walking around town days later. They can't deny that they just, Peter and John just healed a man in the name of Jesus and that something about the name of Jesus has stirred up a praise in these people. I, ask the, I wonder if some of them actually did believe, but they were so afraid of losing the life that they built up for themselves. They were so worried about losing family or friends or prestige or money or security. And I wonder if that's us sometimes too. I wonder for some of us, if, if we've been on the fence about Jesus, we can't deny what we've seen him do in our friend's life, in our family's life. We can't deny what is happening in the scriptures and what we feel in our hearts. But you haven't taken that step in, the, in faith to, to step into, into Jesus and say, like, you are my Lord and Savior because you're so afraid of losing the life that you built for yourself. I wonder if some of us are like these people that, that we've spent our lives building our ideal life and we've built our own kingdom and we've, we've established our, our fortune and our wealth and now we feel like Jesus is calling us to something different and we're so afraid to take that step because what if I lose it all? What if you do? What if you do lose everything that you've worked for? What if... God calls you to give up that business? What if God calls you to give up some relationships? What if God calls you to pick up and to move from, from Lewis or Milton or Rehoboth and move to some place you've never heard of? Would that be okay? Because in, Jesus says in Mark 8, 36, it says, what, is it, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good would it be for you to gain everything on this earth? Because let me tell you that none of it's coming with us. I don't care how big your house is, how nice your boat is, what your wardrobe looks like. None of it's coming with you on the other side of eternity. So what is it worth to you? To, what, what good is it to gain everything in this world, but then be separated from Jesus eternally? On the flip side, how good would it be to gain eternity with Jesus and lose everything on this earth? Because if Jesus, Jesus plus nothing is everything. If it's Jesus plus something else and Jesus plus a house and Jesus plus a good job and Jesus plus kids who behave and, and Jesus plus everything else, that's not the gospel. What it just says is, is Christ and Christ alone. We saw that it is by no other name that anybody can be saved. And some of you this morning, what you need to do, I feel like God is just stirring inside of some of your hearts to, to take that step of faith, 
to put your faith in the name of Jesus, to, to experience salvation, to move from death to life, to let the old be gone and the new come. And for some of us, some of you, you can't deny what you've seen. You've seen how God has changed your family. You've seen how God has, has changed your friends. You see what God has done. You, you know people who that have been prayed for in the name of Jesus and they've been healed. You've received a word from somebody and it was just spot on. But there's something inside of you that you're just so afraid of losing the life that you've built that you're afraid to submit to the life that God has for you. And I want to encourage you this morning to take that step, to move just a little bit further. Because, look, the reality is this, is that following Jesus isn't always easy. But it's better. Sometimes people get this idea of following Christ that it's all like rainbows and butterflies and we're just like skipping through a field of flowers. Now, the one thing that Jesus promised us is suffering. The other thing he promised us is that he will never leave us that he won't abandon us. I want to ask you the question, and maybe this is the question, what if I lose it all? What if you do? But I can promise you the life that you're going to gain is going to be so much more greater. It's going to be that much better. That the, thing that you, the life that you're trying to build is never going to bring you joy. It's never going to bring you fulfillment. It's never going to bring you peace. It's never going to be enough. But Jesus will be. So what is stopping you this morning, just to, to call upon the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Peter and John say there's no other name other than the name of Jesus. Sometimes when I don't know um, what to pray or how to pray, I just say the name of Jesus. For some of you this morning, I just want, I'm just going to say the name of Jesus, and I want you to say it with me, because for some of you, it's going to be the first time that you've ever just, you ever just have said it out loud and, and meant it as crying out to him, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Because there's power in your name, that there's freedom in your name, that there's wholeness and healing and and fruit and joy in your name, that there's life in your name. We thank you that your name is the name above all names. It's the only name worth worship. It's the only name worth glory. It's the only name worth my attention and my love. God, and we thank you that Jesus came and died for us that he rose again, that he ascended to heaven. And th through that, we can have new life, eternal life, the life we were designed to live. So, Father, we submit to you this morning. God, I, we give you the lives that we've built for ourselves. We give you our own personal kingdoms, God, and we just say, let, let your will be done, God. If, if that's what you need for me, like if that's what you need to remove for me to be better, to be more like you, then so be it. Because we trust you, Jesus. And Father, I ask that you would just, that you would stir something up in our hearts 
And we see you stirring these, stirring up at these different universities across America, God, that, that you were just, you're doing something fresh in our country, God, and we pray that you would stir something up inside of us, that we would be more aware of your presence and your spirit, and God, that we would just have, we'd fall in love with our first love again, and that's you, Jesus. So we thank you, and we praise you, and we give you all this glory, and we do this in your holy name.